You'd open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6 tonight, Revelation chapter 6. Also, you're going to want to get Daniel, something marked in Daniel chapter 7. We're going to start there. We're going to look at a few passages there this evening. And Revelation 6, 1 says, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, As with a voice of thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your people who are out tonight to partake of it or who perhaps are looking in via live stream. We thank you for them. We pray that you would just use your word to minister to our hearts and our minds. We pray that we would have a solid faith in these unstable times. And we pray that we would know what to believe and why we believe it in all the doctrines, including the doctrine of the future, eschatology. We pray that you would work here tonight. We'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus Christ was here on earth, in John five forty three, he said, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. But if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. That one who will come in his own name is the Antichrist. And when he does show up, Israel and the world will receive him. In Daniel 9.27, we learn that there's a seven-year period of time that will feature the Antichrist and feature terrible desolation and destruction. At the end of the seven-year period... Jesus Christ will return and take over the world, and it'll be a different world. Transgressions will be finished, sin will be gone, everlasting righteousness will reign, and all biblical prophecy will have been fulfilled. A prelude to all of those things happening is that seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation that we introduced to you last Sunday night. And that seven-year period starts right here in Revelation chapter 6. Now, there are actually two critical events that are predicted in Scripture that really kick off the Great Tribulation. The first key event will be the Antichrist will surface and make a peace treaty with Israel. And the second key event is that Jesus Christ will begin to break open the Great Tribulation seals in Revelation 6. Now, we conclude that this first seal judgment is closely connected to the surfacing of the Antichrist who's going to make that peace treaty with Israel. And the first thing that I want you to see from Revelation 6.1 is it is the Lamb who's in charge. It is the Lamb. I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals. All judgment of God has been turned over to the Lamb. All judgment of God has been turned over to Jesus Christ. He's the one who's worthy to pour out all the judgments of God. It's the Lamb who's breaking the seals. It's the Lamb who's authorizing every bit of what we're about to see tonight. It's the Lamb who's in charge. What this tells us is God does have a grace side and love side, but he has a wrath side. And when he reaches the angry point, and when he reaches this point in time, he is going to pour out his wrath. Now, in Revelation 6, we have six seals of judgment opened by the Lamb in chronological sequential order. And these seals are open one at a time. They are open by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can guarantee you that what's described in just this chapter, just this chapter, and we're just starting the tribulation in chapter 6, 
has never been experienced anywhere in history. This is going to be a horrible time that will exist on this earth when that tribulation hits. Now, the first sealed judgment is the judgment of the surfacing Antichrist. Now, when Daniel gives his prophecy concerning the tribulation, he introduces us to a man by describing a guy who will surface at the beginning who will appear to be a real friend of Israel. I'm convinced he surfaces right here at the first seal judgment. Later, three and a half years in, when we get about to Revelation 13, he'll go on a vendetta to exterminate every single Jew in the world. Now, Daniel gives us great detail concerning the facts of the Antichrist, and when we went through the book of Daniel, we cataloged 46 facts about him, and I want to take you through 31 facts about him tonight. I want you to go back to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to spend a little time in Daniel tonight. I'm going to point out some things about this Antichrist that we're introduced to here this evening. In Daniel chapter 7, I want you to notice verse 7, what we read of Daniel 7. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth, it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one came up among them, The three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it, and behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth uttering great boast. Now, from those two verses of Scripture, we conclude there are nine facts that are given to us by Daniel. First of all, he will end up being a terrifying beast. I don't care how he surfaces. He's going to surface to be a real kind, gentle, political leader. He will end up being a terrifying beast. He will appear to be innocent. But the fact of the matter is he will be a wild, untamable, vicious killer. We also learn from verse 7, he'll destroy and chew up people with iron teeth. He'll rip people to shreds verbally and also physically. We learn thirdly, he'll crush and trample people with his feet. Literally, he'll wipe out people. He will set his agenda to actually destroying and slaughtering people, specifically God's people. Fourthly, he will be the most vicious, inhumane beast ruler who's ever existed. Now, just roll that through your mind. Think of some of the evil, cruel leaders that you've learned about in history. Guys like Nero and Caligula and, of course, Adolf Hitler. You think about them, and you realize that Daniel says this one, this one outshines them all. This will be the most vicious, inhumane ruler that's ever walked on the face of the earth. The fifth fact that he brings out is he will have control of ten powerful nations. He brings that out in verse 7. The sixth fact is he'll surface as one of the ten leaders of the ten nations. Now, right now, the European Union has 27 members in it. And at some point, those 27 members are going to whittle it down to 10. And there are going to be 10 strong European nations that are going to band together. And when that happens, he's going to surface as one of those 10 nations. The seventh fact that Daniel brings out there in verse 8 is he'll initially surface as a dictator who will have taken control of three nations. Now, he brings that out three times in Daniel chapter 7 that he takes control of three nations. What that tells us is three of the 27 nations are going to band into one, and they are going to all give their allegiance power to this Antichrist. The eighth fact about him is he will look like a normal man, but he's not a normal man. When the world sees the Antichrist, he's going to look like a sharp guy. He's not going to look like a satanic man. 
He will not be wearing clothing that would tip his hand that I'm a devil man. I mean, he's going to look like a really successful entrepreneur and businessman when he surfaces. The ninth fact is he'll be a great boaster and braggart and speak out against God. He'll be an egomaniac. Now, the tenth fact is in verse 11 of Daniel 7. I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and given to burning fire. What we learned about this Antichrist is eventually he's going to be judged and destroyed by God and cast into the lake of fire, body and all. Now, most people who die, who end up in heaven or hell, their body stays here. They leave and their soul goes to one of those two places. What is described here is this guy, this Antichrist, is actually going to be cast body and all into hell. Now, the next group of facts we get from chapter 7, verses 19 to 25. So look at verse 19. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up and before which three of them fell, namely the horn which has eyes and a mouth uttering great boast and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth which will be different from all other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of the kingdom ten kings will arise and another will arise after them and he'll be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one and he will intend to make alterations in times and in the law and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time." Now we learn some other facts here in those verses about this Antichrist. He'll be the most dreadful beast who's ever lived, who will devour more than any other person has ever devoured. If you think of Adolf Hitler, who devoured 6 million Jews from 1939 to 1945, it'll be nothing. It'll make him look like a little choir boy compared to what this Antichrist is going to do in going up against the whole world. He'll be, twelfthly, the largest political leader to ever exist. He'll control the world. There's never been a political leader that we've ever known who's actually controlled the world. This one will. He'll control the world and all the nations in the world. He'll target God's people, number 13, and wage war against them and destroy them. See, I think after the rapture of the church, those first Sundays, people are going to go to church. The people that haven't been raptured are going to go to church. I mean, that's their religious ritual. Their religious rituals, well, we go to church. And they weren't real believers in Jesus Christ. So they're in the tribulation, but there's going to be certainly a lot of suspicious things that are floating around when all the Christians disappear and are caught up in the sky to meet the Lord in the air. So these people are going to go to church. This Antichrist will keep his eye. He'll keep his eye on anybody and anything that is connected to God, and his goal will be, I'm going to destroy them all. The 14th fact is he'll take over the whole world. That's what it says in verse 23. He will actually take over the whole world, devour the whole world. The 15th fact is he will be a law and dictator of the world for three and a half years of the tribulation. I want you to see that because a time and times and time a half is three and a half years of the tribulation. And I want you to notice 
When Daniel actually got a vision of this guy, what happens in verse 28? At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarmed and my face grew pale. When Daniel got a glimpse of this guy and what he was doing, he said, man, my strength drained right out of me. I lost the color out of my face. I mean, this guy is scary. The 16th fact about him is he'll love to fight. The 17th fact is he'll have a very high IQ. Now let's go over to Daniel chapter 8, if you would. Daniel chapter 8. And I want you to notice, if you would, please, verse 23. In Daniel 8, 23, we read these words. In the latter period of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise insolent, skilled in intrigue. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. And he'll destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. And through his shrewdness, he will cause the seat to succeed by his influence. He will magnify himself in his heart. He will destroy many while they are at ease. He will even oppose the prince of princes. But he will be broken without human agency. Now, what is predicted here in these verses is that he will love to fight. He's going to have a very high IQ. Skilled in intrigue means this guy is going to be a smart guy. He doesn't come across as a dummy. This guy can maneuver his way around the world, and he can maneuver his way with important people. He knows how to play that political game at a very high level. Then we learn that he will possess unusual satanic power given to him by Satan himself. Verse 24 says, he'll have power, but it's not his own. That's what verse 24 says. He'll have power, but it's not his own. One commentator said, this guy will be Satan's Superman. Satan literally is going to possess this guy, give him power, the likes of which this world has never seen. The 19th fact about him is he'll be very destructive at a very unusual level. The 20th fact is he'll be very prosperous in everything he does, everything he'll do, he'll turn to gold. It will appear like nobody can stop him, appear like nobody can beat him. Everything he wants to do, he'll accomplish. The 21st fact is he's a skilled liar who can deceive the whole world. He will cause deceit to succeed in his influence. This guy... I mean, we're used to seeing liars in political offices. But usually when they lie, you look at it and go, that's a lie. I mean, you spot that immediately. You won't spot it with this guy. This guy will be so shrewd and so skilled as a liar that he'll be able to look cameras straight on, national television, international television, and lie, and people will believe his lie. He will spread his deceit worldwide. The 22nd fact is he'll elevate himself in his own heart. Now, he doesn't show that immediately. When he surfaces, he appears to be so concerned about other people. He's not. He's concerned about one thing himself, his own goal, his satanic agenda. The 23rd fact is he will destroy many people who think they are secure. Now, there will be many people who, when this guy surfaces, think, boy, this guy is a great guy. He's really calming things down in the world. Those Christians are gone. Don't know exactly where they went, but they're gone. But this guy surfaced, and he's our best friend. He'll turn out to be their worst nightmare. The 24th fact is he'll oppose Jesus Christ, which is why it is fitting for him to have the name the Antichrist. He is against Jesus Christ. He will oppose him. The 25th fact is he'll not be able to be destroyed by any human means. I want you to notice that point. 
he will destroy many, but he can't be broken by human agency. In other words, no human can destroy this guy. He'll be indestructible. There will be no assassination attack that will work against him. He's actually going to be protected by Satan at this point in time. He will surface, Daniel 9.27 says, he'll make a firm covenant with many for one week. So he surfaces at the beginning of the tribulation. But then we learn from Daniel 9.27, but in the middle of these seven, in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So he surfaces as a real friend to Israel at the beginning of the tribulation. He makes a covenant with her, and then he'll break that covenant in the middle of the tribulation period, and his goal will be, I'm going to exterminate the Jew. Now, I want you to go over to Daniel chapter 11, and then I just want to point out just a few more facts about this Antichrist. We read in verse 36 of Daniel chapter 11, then the king will do as he pleases, And he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. He will prosper until the indignation is finished for that which is decreed will be done. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women. Nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. But instead, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasures. He will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign god. He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause them to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. Now, we learn a couple of more facts about him there in Daniel chapter 11. He's going to do as he pleases all over the world. All over the world. In fact, the text says he'll actually subdivide it. He'll give it to his supporters. He'll say, well, you take that part of, I'm convinced, the United States, and you take that part of South America, and you take that part of Australia and Antarctica. I mean, he'll subdivide the world any way he wants to break it down, and he's going to be the dictator of the world. Also, verse 37 says he has no regard for anyone but himself, and it specifically mentions he has no desire for women. Now, this is something that is really going to open up later for you, and I'll show you grammatically later in this very sixth chapter. It'll be a couple of weeks from now, though. He's going to brutalize women. Brutalize women. Women don't realize the wonderful privilege they have right now of believing on Jesus Christ and having a relationship with God. The women who think that they're going to go into the tribulation and they're going to be pushy and they're going to be impressive, are going to discover they're going to face a brutal antichrist who has no regard for any of them. In fact, he is going to literally kill many, many women during the great tribulation period. If I were a woman, I would certainly say we ought to really believe in the Lord now. We do not want to be here when the rapture has occurred and this tribulation kicks off Because this guy who appears to be so politically impressive is going to become a woman's nightmare. And he's going to kill him. That's why Jesus predicted. He said, man, you pray when this happens that you're not a woman and you're not a woman with child and that you're not in labor. You need to get out of there fast because he's going to go on a vendetta against women. 30th, he loves war and he goes against 
the strongest militaries in the world. He just loves war. And then finally, he actually is going to move into Israel's land and make the headquarters there. I mean, we learn that in verse 41 of Daniel 11. He will also enter the beautiful land and many countries will fall. Verse 45, he will pitch his tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Now, when the Apostle Paul described that same guy in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he is clear to point out that God is in sovereign control in actually allowing him to surface and in actually sending here to this earth. In other words, this satanic man is permitted by God to exist at this time. God will allow him to surface after the rapture of the church. He's going to surface, and it's God who's authorizing this. This is part, ladies and gentlemen, of the judgment of God. It's what kicks off the tribulation. Now, you see, I think God is very systematic in why he's doing this. This world rejected Jesus Christ. Israel rejected Jesus Christ. Most of the people of this world reject Jesus Christ. They'd rather rely upon themselves or their religion to take them to heaven. They are not about most people. They're too proud to humble themselves to what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. They're too proud to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So God said, okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. When the tribulation comes into existence, I'm going to send a guy who's just the opposite of my son. I'm going to authorize him to come into existence to kick off the great tribulation, and I'm going to surface this Antichrist. In verse 1 of Revelation chapter 6, begins with John saying, I saw this. I saw this guy. I saw this begin. I saw the Lamb. I saw Jesus Christ break open that first seal. And then I heard one of the living creatures, those high-rank angelic beings that are at the throne of God, saying with a thunderous commanding voice, it's time to come, come. Jesus Christ is authorizing the surfacing of this phony Antichrist. He said, when I came to you in my Father's name, you wouldn't receive me, so there's another one that's going to come. He'll come in his own name. We'll authorize him to come. You're going to receive him all right, but you don't know what he's going to end up doing to you. I want to parse the verb come from Revelation 6.1. And I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder, come. I want to parse that verb. It's present tense, middle voice, imperative mood, second person, singular verb. Now, what all of that technical talk simply means is this. Number one, present tense means this is a continual action verb. I understand this to mean once this person surfaces here at the beginning, he will continue to play a key role all the way through this tribulation period until Jesus Christ destroys him. The middle voice verb means that he's involved in the action. So the Antichrist himself is going to be involved in all of this satanic action. The imperative mood indicates that Jesus Christ is commanding this, or this angelic being is commanding this. So the Antichrist can't come forward until it's commanded from the throne of God. 
He's not able to actually surface in this world until he is commanded by God to come into existence. And once he's commanded to come into existence, it's not optional. And the second person singular means, this is given to one person. One person. One person is targeted. You come now. Now the grammatical question at stake with this verb is whether or not this command and invitation was given to John or given to the white horse who's bringing this unique rider into the tribulation. I don't believe the command's given to John. John just says, I'm seeing this. I'm standing there watching this. I'm listening to this. This is a command given from heaven for the Antichrist to surface at the beginning of the great tribulation. And I want to, again, stress the fact of what the text says. John says, I actually saw this. I think that is important because John says, I'm not dreaming this stuff. I mean, this is not like I went to bed one night and had this wild dog dream. And he goes, I'm not imagining this. I'm not in some mystical experience here. I actually saw this. I actually saw this happen. I actually heard this and saw this go down. And when the lamb breaks the seal, and when one of the living creatures commands him to come, John says, I looked and I saw five sights. Sight number one, I saw a white horse. He says in verse two, I looked and behold, a white horse. Now, when we study biblical prophecy... And I'm going to have us go back to a book we went through a couple of years ago, the book of Zechariah. When we study biblical prophecy, we know that horses are used providentially by God to carry out his will in regard to judgment. And I'd like you to go back to Zechariah, if you would, please. The next to the last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah. And I want to just point out two passages of Scripture that describe what this odd horse and horses are involved in, because you're going to meet more of them as the sealed judgments are open. We learn from Zechariah chapter 1, verse 8, that they have a patrolling type of ministry. We learn in chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees, which were in the ravine with red sorrel and white horses behind him. Then I said, my Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I'll show you what these are. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Apparently, these are patrolling special in the unseen world of God powers that are involved to patrol the earth. Now, as long as you're open to Zechariah, go over to chapter 6. And notice what we read in verse 2. With the first chariot, there were red horses. With the second chariot, black horses. With the third chariot, white horses. And with the fourth chariot, strong dappled horses. Now drop down to verse 8. Then he cried out to me and spoke to me, saying, See, those who are going to the land of the north have appeased my wrath in the land of the north. So I conclude based on that, that the... Horses are involved in patrolling the earth, and when they're authorized to do so, they're the ones who actually are playing part of the process of taking peace from the earth and pouring out the wrath of God. Now, by virtue of the fact this one starts off with a white horse, that is very significant. Because according to Jewish thinking, they were expecting their Messiah to ride into Jerusalem on a grand white horse. 
And when Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey colt, I mean, it didn't impress them. They kept thinking, this can't be our Messiah. And by virtue of the fact that this one rides in on a white horse, whatever this white horse is carrying is something that's really going to impress Israel. And this horse is carrying a rider. And the rider on the horse that's surfacing is the worst person who will ever come into existence. It's the Antichrist. Daniel predicts that when this Antichrist first surfaces, one of the first things he's going to do is pretend to be Israel's friend. He's going to embrace Israel and snuggle up to her, and they're going to embrace him. I mean, he'll look like their hero. He'll enter into some peace pact with her. He'll enter into some peace agreement with her. And this white horse symbolizes, he comes along and he appears to be a victorious conqueror, but a nice conqueror, he'll turn out to be a vicious dictator. So the first thing John said I saw is I saw that white horse. Secondly, he said, I saw a man sitting on the horse. He says in verse 2, I looked, a white horse, and he who sat on it. Now, it's specifically stated by John, I saw masculine pronoun, a man sitting on a white horse. The pronoun he is masculine. It's taken from the masculine article, the one who's sitting on the horse. Now, of course, the critical prophetic question is, who's the rider? There have been a couple of views, but only one has actually been supported. Some have said, well, this must be Jesus Christ. It can't be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the lamb breaking open the seal. It can't be Jesus Christ. The second view and the right view is it's the Antichrist. And we can determine that based on six evidences. Number one, Paul says the Antichrist will surface when God permits him to surface and removes the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit. And since at this point the rapture has occurred, and since at this point the church is gone, we conclude it's the Antichrist who first surfaces at the beginning of the tribulation. Secondly, one of the four living creatures commands the horse and rider to come. Do you notice that? I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice of thunder, come. There is no place, no place in the book of Revelation where any created being commands Jesus Christ to do anything. The creature does not command the creator. It's the other way around. It's the creator who's giving commands to the creatures. Not the creatures giving commands to the creator. So the writer here can't be Jesus Christ. The writer here must be the Antichrist. Thirdly, Jesus Christ does not come until Revelation chapter 19. And when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to come with four major differences. First of all, Jesus Christ does not come with a bow, which we'll talk about in a minute. He comes with a sword. Secondly, Jesus Christ does not come with one crown of victory, a Stephanus. He comes with many crowns of royalty, diademata. Thirdly, Jesus Christ does not come to try to conquer. He comes to reign. And finally, Jesus Christ does not come with one horse. He brings armies that follow him on multiple horses. So based on that, we conclude this cannot be Jesus Christ. It has to be the Antichrist. Fourthly, Jesus Christ does not come until the end of the tribulation. This rider comes at the beginning of the tribulation when Jesus Christ is still in heaven. And fifthly, Jesus Christ himself taught that the first feature of the tribulation will be a misleading by false Christ, which parallels the events here of Revelation chapter 6. In fact, Jesus specifically said, the way you'll know it's me 
Because there are going to be all kinds of people after the rapture saying they can lead you into a right relationship with God. They'll be claiming they're me. The way you know it's me is I'm coming in all my glory out of the sky. These people will be down here on earth. But the way you'll know it's really me is you'll see me coming with great power and glory out of the sky. As I mentioned before, once the rapture occurs, all you have left here are false religions. And I'm going to tell you those false religions are going to flourish for a while. They're going to pack in the people, give them their phony, baloney, religious lies like they've been doing for years. And only this time, it's going to be a high price they're going to pay because this Antichrist will go on a vendetta to stamp them all out. Now, the sixth evidence is Daniel clearly points out that the seven-year tribulation starts when the Antichrist enters into that peace treaty with Israel. And since this is the beginning of the tribulation, the first seal that Christ breaks is the beginning of the tribulation, we would conclude this has to be the beginning surfacing of the Antichrist. So there's your second sight, John saw. Thirdly, he saw the man sitting on a white horse with a bow. He says there in verse 2, and the one who sat on it had a bow. Not a sword, but a bow. Now, what is very, very significant about this writer is that he has a bow, but it doesn't mention he has any arrows. And that's important. You see, the implication of this is that he's a warrior. He's a deadly warrior. But he initially comes on the scene without war. He comes on the scene without killing. He will surface as a worldwide peacemaker. He's going to be able to smooth his way into a negotiation with Israel. He's going to be able to smooth his way into negotiations with the European Union. I mean, the European Union is basically going to turn all power and clout over to this guy. I mean, he's going to surface not as an initial killer and not as a warmonger. He's going to initially surface as a guy who's after peace. You know, it was said that there were times when Alexander the Great conquered places without war because, of course, they had a reputation that he would just demolish a place, but when they heard he was coming, they said, let's make a peace deal. I mean, we're not going to be able to stop this guy, so let's enter into a peace agreement with him. This Antichrist, when he surfaces, he's just going to go around and pretend to make peace deals with everybody, only he doesn't mean it. He's a liar. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that the day of the Lord will initially begin with a message of peace and safety. He'll be telling people, I'm left here, I'm going to lead you, I want us all to be peaceful, I want us all to get along, I want us all to be safe. I mean, he's going to sell them that song and dance, and they are going to believe it. And also, it's important to see that in the Old Testament, the bow often symbolizes political forces that are constantly at war with God, and the Antichrist is going to be just that. He will be in perpetual war against God until Jesus Christ destroys him. So what this guy is going to do, and I think this is just so fascinating to think about, is he surfaces at the beginning of the tribulation as a man who promotes peace. And when you think about what Jesus Christ is actually going to do in the millennium, because in the millennium, it's going to be worldwide peace. So what you have the Antichrist surfacing as initially is like, I'm a guy who's here to give you a prelude to a mini-millennium. And there will be many people who I am convinced from Israel, most people from Israel, and many people who will be going to their churches who convince themselves and be convinced by this guy 
hey, life's good. Sky's okay. And they won't realize he is a ruthless killer, the worst this world has ever seen. The fourth sight that John saw is he saw a man who was sitting on a white horse. He was given a crown. He says, and a crown, verse 2, was given to him. I want you to notice the verb was given. It's what we would call a divine passive, meaning God's the one controlling the entire process of the action. He's not. And the verb is used multiple times in the book of Revelation, and it's used to stress the fact that it is God who's in sovereign control over everything that is happening in the tribulation. This Antichrist can only do what God permits him to do. This Antichrist can only accomplish what God permits him to accomplish. See, in all reality, although it will appear the Antichrist is controlling the world, it's God who's controlling him. It will look like the Antichrist is in charge, God's in charge of him. In fact, what God is actually doing here is he's using this Antichrist for his judgment purposes. The second observation we make about this crown is it's a crown of victory, not royalty. As we already pointed out, the crown here is a victory crown of Stephanus. It's not a royalty crown, dia de mata. It's not a diadem crown. This is a victory crown. So what this tells us is God's going to permit this guy to have victory in this world. Remember, Christians are gone. He's going to let this guy have some victory in this world. He'll surface as having political victory over three nations, and then the ten European nations will make him head of their operation. God's going to permit him to have a certain amount of victory on earth, but he'll never be in the royal family of God ever. The third observation is the crown is one crown, not plural crowns. He has one shining moment in the sun, if you can call it that. He's authorized by God to surface in history at one moment. His reign is going to be short-lived. Now, the fifth thing that John saw is there at the end of verse 2, and he went out conquering and to conquer. John saw the guy given authorization coming right from the throne of God to go out and conquer. This is God allowing, it's judgment. You rejected my son, we'll send you another guy. A guy that you'll embrace, but this guy won't be your friend like my son was. This guy isn't going to lay down his life for you. He's going to take your lives from you. Once the Antichrist is permitted to surface, his goal will soon become, I'm going to conquer the world. He'll be actually satanically indwelt. You'll meet him in all of his devil capacity in Revelation chapter 13. We'll see him again. He surfaces here. This is the beginning of the tribulation. This is when he surfaces. But I'll tell you, you will see what he's really about when you get to Revelation chapter 13. His goal is worldwide domination. He will be out to conquer the world militarily. He will surface as a nice political leader and peace promoter. He'll turn out to be a ruthless dictator whose goal it will be to conquer the world. And that starts the tribulation as sealed judgment number one. And I think this world is ripe for this kind of political leader to surface right now. I know it's not going to happen before the rapture. Paul's clear on that point. We'll be gone before he does surface. But this world is getting ready for the surfacing of this guy right now. I don't think he's going to surface before the rapture. I do think he could be alive right now. 
What I can say to everyone is you do not want to be here in the tribulation. You want to be raptured, caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And the only way to get a ticket to that event is to be in Christ. And the only way to be in Christ is to invite Jesus Christ into your life. You do that. You don't have to worry about the tribulation. You don't have to worry about the Antichrist. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, right now settle it. Just pray something like this. God, I'm a sinner. I admit it. I ask Jesus Christ to come into my life and save me from all my sins. Our Father, we're grateful that you lay out your prophetic plan in the scriptures. It's our desire in this fickle world to be people that are strong and stable in our faith. We're so grateful that you've promised that we're not going into that terrible time. I pray, Lord, that people who have an opportunity to study these things or perhaps even hear this, they would, if they haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't care who they are, I don't care if they're a politician or just a guy on the streets in downtown Kalamazoo. I pray that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and escape this horrible time of wrath. In Jesus' name, amen.